This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Begin transmission. Transmission. The Frontline Gaming Network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. The Frontline Gaming Network presenting Art of War with Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Art of War podcast. I'm your host, John. And I'm your host, Nick. And I'm Manny from Glass Army Gaming. Woo! <laughs> welcome, Manny. Glad to have you here. Perfect. Thanks, guys. It's absolutely <laughs> awesome coming on. Yeah, thanks for coming. All right. So uh, today, Manny, before we get started, um, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about some of your accomplishments in in uh, Warhammer 40K or some of the things that you're proud of. Give Manny a little bit of credit. Needs no introduction. He is no. the father of brown magic. Oh. <laughs> so no, to be fair, I've done uh, I've done quite a bit. I've I've come first. Uh, I've come first at most of the most of the big events in the UK now. I think the only one that's left is the LGT. I haven't podiumed there. I've podiumed, I've podiumed at every event, I think, except for the LGT. And I've come first at most of them as well. Uh, I think my, my biggest achievement that I'm proud of is uh, coming first at the ETC. And of course, that was just this month that's just gone. So yeah, I, I enjoy team events a lot more than singles just because of the atmosphere. Because when you win, you win as a team. And I think it's, uh, it means a lot more than, especially playing for your country, I think it means a lot more winning than it does when you win for yourself. Yeah, I have the same opinion. Like, it just, everyone's so much more involved, so much more invested. Even if you win your game 20 0, the round is not over. You're just so much more invested. Yeah, in that's it. And you're <laughs> playing it, like, for more than yourself, which is always like you're playing for something larger, which is nice. Yeah, that's it, man. Like, you win your game and then you're running up and down the road, like, oh my God, how are we doing? We still need points. We still need points. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing quite like it. Yeah, the ETC sounds amazing. Um, in War Machine and Hordes, they have a very similar event, actually based on the ETC, called the WTC. Uh, and those events are just the best. They're just the best. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've been to the WTC as well, I think. It was in Croatia, like two years ago, I think. Yeah. Or three years ago. Yeah, and I went over, and that was pretty cool. We went, I went with, like, Team London or something. It was, like, before before I was playing for England. So I thought that was that was really cool as well. And, I mean, anybody... Anybody that's like interested in competitive 40k, there's nothing quite like playing for your country at the ETC. So, you know, I'd encourage everyone to just apply if you can, just apply for your national team and um, just, you know, go to a few events, show the team that you're competent at 40k. And that's all they're looking for, really. They're just looking for good players who are, you know, who, who want to go there, represent the country, really. Yeah, and even if you don't get the chance to be accepted by your team, if you have the means, I recommend just definitely going to the ETC anyway. You can oh, play yeah. in singles, and your team, your country that is playing will definitely see that you're motivated and dedicated that go a long way towards going in the next year or being invited the next year. And also, you'll still have a great time. It's one of the most, even if you're not playing, even if you're coaching or just hanging out, there's nothing like being surrounded by the best of the best around the world who all share the, your passion for the hobby in the same area like that. It's, oh yeah, it's no awesome, man. 
it's awesome. You you might learn things that you never thought about from different armies just because they they're played differently in the metas of different countries. And you know, it might be something that you learn and take back and then you use back in your home country and people, you know, get caught off guard by it. So there's loads of different things like that. And also the level of player there is just amazing. I think you can make you can make lots of friends from other countries. And I think that's one of the best things about the ETC, right, Nick? You go back every year and you see people that, that you know and that know you. Yeah, you just make, uh, the reason we all play this game, and I'm, I may be speaking for everyone here, but I, I, the reason I play this game is for the community aspect, all the friends I've made, all the people who play over the past few years. And making those connections overseas and with all these people from different countries, it's just, there's nothing like it. It's really one of the yeah. best things ever. Yeah. Well, cool. So speaking of ETC, uh, Manny, I think today we're going to talk about your ETC list. Um, and maybe talk about how you would adjust it for more singles play, I guess. But if you want to just start okay. with yeah. going let's through, start, let's just go top to bottom. Manny, why don't you tell yep. us what you played at ETC? Yeah. So I played a guard and blood angels army and it was pure guard and blood angels. I tried custodes out, but they just weren't, they weren't doing the same things for me as when I put the Wivens in the list. So what I had in the list was an emperor's wrath infantry conclave uh and that had 90 catachans in it uh strachan the priest all the characters to make it work and then i had sergeant harker and nine mortars and then i had the emperor's wrath artillery company as a battalion and that had just a company commander a um psyker primary psyker because i'd already maxed out three company commanders and then i had 30 more guardsmen so 120 catachans total and then three Wivens. And the reason why I took them in separate uh, detachments is just so, because nine mortars and three Wivens together is a lot of out of line of sight shooting, which is absolutely amazing. But then also it's so that I could use the benefits from both special detachments. So the, the infantry could fight when they died and the, um, one of the Wivens could fire twice every turn. And it was really big. The, the Warlord trait from that detachment is when you roll sixes for Wivens to wound, like all Wivens within six inches, uh, they're minus one armor, which is really good at the kind of stuff that normally hides as like a five up or six up save that you're just trying to kill. So the minus one can be really useful. And the relic is ignores cover on one of your Wivens, which came in very, very handy because you just make that one fire twice every turn. And oh man, people are so scared of those Wivens. So that was wicked. They terrify me. <laughs> Yeah, and my third detachment was a Supreme Command of Blood Angels, which had two Libby Dreads, including Mr. Big Fist, and then three Smash Captains. Wow, that's awesome. a lot of that's a lot of punchy stuff in that yeah. Blood Angels. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So it's interesting. A lot of people off uh, opt for like two or three Smash Captains and three into Scouts and a Battalion for more command points instead of just more smashy characters. Especially since you had the Wyverns and the Emperor's Fist Conclave and all that. Did you find you were light on CPs and could have used that extra battalion? Or did, were you happy with your commit point total? Yes. The thing is, sometimes sometimes you do feel like you need the extra CPs. Because, I mean, you've got the Brigade and one battalion and a Supreme. So you do have 21 command points. But after you've used, after you've used the two specialist ones, you go down to 19 command points. And quite often you'll make uh, one death company guy, so you're down to 18. And you'll take the two plus hammer on that guy as well, uh, just to make him really killy and scaring people into taking first turn, which he did really well. And uh, that puts you down to 17 command points at the start of the game. But 17's not too low. 17 is pretty decent. I mean, 
you do you do end up buying field commander in most games as well for uh, that bonus of the sixes. So you do start the game with about 16 command points. That's roughly what you start with. But the reason why I found it enough is because if you play against big stuff, you tend to use all of those CPs in-game on your Blood Angel characters. But then if you're playing against hordes, you tend to not spend pretty much any on the Blood Angels, and all of it goes into the... Um, the Emperor's Wrath artillery into firing Wivens twice, but I mean that is only two command points a turn So you spend maybe ten on that over five turns and you've still got like seven command points left to spend on the other infantry You know the fight when you die You, you make big 20-man squads of them essentially and you screen with those squads and then you pop the Fight when you die strat on them and they actually they're, they're really powerful and most people don't see it coming uh, I mean everybody knows it's there but they're so scared of the Wivens that they, it's so tempting to try and wrap some guardsmen, but it's totally the wrong thing to do. Yeah, and not only that, it's not even just a fight when you die, which is against the guardsmen, it's the, the orders, like let's say I wrap the guardsmen, right, and they can't fall back, so I've dodged the, the three Wyverns with the shooting and the mortars. You can then walk new squads over, combine squads, and then fix bayonets to fight in the shooting phase and then fight in the fight yeah. phase. You can get, like... 30 guardsmen hitting twice in your opponent's turn just while you were trying to avoid some wyvern fire, right? Oh yeah, it's, it's mental because most of the time when your opponent gets into, gets into guardsmen and they form a wrap, there's still one or two units that they have that the wyverns will target. And what people don't realize is you don't, you don't tend to shoot the, the stuff that's right in front of you with wyverns. You tend to shoot the stuff that people are hiding because they're the ones on the objectives that you're trying to clear them from. So people like charged me and wrapped guardsmen and stuff with like three big units, but they'd have like three chaff units and a big unit at the back of the board that didn't quite make it. And then I'd shoot, I'd shoot those off with wyverns and mortars and stuff. But then, you, like you said, you just issue fixed bayonets order to fight in the shooting phase on that 20-man squad that they've just wrapped. And that's like 60 attacks from those guardsmen. And then they fight first in your own fight, because it's your own fight phase coming after that. So they, they fight with like 60 attacks once your opponent wraps them. Then they fight with 60 attacks in your shooting phase. Then they fight with another 60 attacks in your assault phase. And if you're fighting something big that's going to kill you after all, that many attacks, then you can pop fight when you die in your fight phase as well. And you can fight like four times before you go out. And that's like 240 attacks. There yeah. aren't many things in the game that are going to survive 240 yeah. attacks at strength four. Most people don't think of Guardsmen as a combat capable army at all. and that's definitely a, mis a misconception. Like, they're not fast, so they're not going to just sprint across the table and start punching Tau gun lines to death. But if your defense against guard is to assault them, you may want to think twice because they can just kill you in combat like that. Yeah, Katachans, especially Katachans. If someone's got a priest and Strachan, you're in trouble if you charge them and try to wrap them. Uh, or even if you go in and try to kill them. I mean, I've had people hit that 20-man screen at the front, but they've only attacked... Uh, a sort of like, you know, a five guardsman on the end. So they've gotten all their attacks in, and I haven't found it worth it to pop the fight when you die, which is probably the best thing to do for them. But they've hit the side, and they've killed 20 guardsmen, and then sort of like 30 have come up, first rank, second rank, that unit with like 120 shots, and then charged in with like 90-odd attacks. And even that, like, people, people don't think it's going to hurt that much getting shot by strength three guns. But when it's over 100 shots... <laughs> And then you pummel in with almost 100 attacks in combat as well at strength 4. It, it does hurt people a lot. So, I mean, th the list works because um, the blood put, taking the custodes out and putting the blood angels in 
it didn't make any of my it didn't make any of my good matchups any better. Sort of like knights. Uh, knights were bad for me, but they've gotten better because you drop the three shield captains who don't do much against knights, and you've got a second Libby Dread and a third Smash Captain who do a lot of work against knights. So it's made my bad matchups good. But then also what it did in the in in the draw off games, sort of like chaos. Like, that's like a very a black. That's like a, I say a black game. That's because uh, we we say black is a draw. So like chaos was a draw game for me. Orcs were kind of like a draw game for me. But what the Wivens do in that matchup uh, instead of the shield cap, like the shield captains, they go in, they shoot stuff, and they tie stuff up. But then they will die. That that's how it goes in those draw kind of matchups. But when you take them out and you put more Guardsmen and the Wivens in, what happens then is they know you've got more Blood Angel characters to come in and kill their characters, so they hold back a little bit. And they try to play for the draw, but that's what normally happens. But then when you've got the Wivens and the Mortars firing from the back, that's, and you've got one Wiven firing twice, that's 25 D6 shots at Strength 4, and you're re-rolling ones to hit with Sergeant Harker, that makes them have to push at you then when you're shooting them from the back like that, by the time they realize they have to push at you, they're going to run into 480 lasgun shots as well. And then they just can't do it. It, it, it makes your draw games better. That's yeah, what happened so a lot for really me. Really, the strategy to your list, I guess, is that you, you sit there with your tons of long-range indirect fire that, that is fairly high quality. You know, the wyverns that reroll the wound, the mortars that reroll ones to hit, all that. And you just bombard the opponent in a staring contest. So while you have like 120 guardsmen characters standing on at least half the objectives on your side of the table, you're also blasting him. So if he just sits there and stares at you all game, you know, you're on half the objectives, he's on half the objectives, he's the one getting shot to pieces. If he comes yeah, into you to like deal thing. with your take you off the objectives, fight you, get away from these wyverns. That's when he's walking into the lion's den, so to speak, with smash characters everywhere, first rank, second rank, lasguns, fight this 240 combo attack conclave thing. So really, you can't just charge into the guard army and you can't just sit there and be shot by the guard army. So what are things that concern you? What are matchups that, you know, are difficult? So uh, knights, knights can always, knights can always go badly. Sort of four, four Tyranus Knights is probably my worst matchup in, in that sense. Because that can go badly in the sense that they don't really care about the Wivens. They don't really care about the Wivens at all. So they just march forward and shoot as many guys to death as they can. But I got quite lucky in the sense that the one game where I played against the Knights was on a, a, a board which was like medium terrain. But there were two big ruins in my deployment zone that let me hide all 120 guardsmen. So he didn't get to shoot. He didn't get to shoot a guardsman until turn four. However, mm. when he shot in turn four, five, and six, he only had three knights left in turn four. Then two knights left in turn five and six. But he killed like eighty guardsmen. So it's those kind of things that really hurt me. It's things that don't care about the wyverns that are quite yeah, tough against the smash no captains as well. Force him to come into you, right? Yeah, that's it, because I, I have to go out one at a time with my Blood Angel characters. And I mean, I, I got in with the, the, guy that, the guy that hits on twos with his hammer, and I got seven attacks on him, and I fought twice. So it was 14 attacks, hitting on twos with rerolls, and wounding on threes. And that's like nine odd wounds. But they have like two knights in their list. They have like two knights in their list, which have a five-up save. Because you have the one that gets a 5-up save in combat, invulnerable, and you have the one that has a 2-plus armor save. 
So when you hit them with thunder hammers, they still have a five up. So he, he got pretty lucky, and out of the nine, he only failed three saves, fighting twice. So oh, wow. you know that can things yeah, like that like can your go wrong. Deal with knights, but if they just spike their saves, you've lost your chance to deal with the knights, and now you're just getting pummeled for the rest of the game. Yeah, that's yeah. it, man. I mean, Mister Big Fist, like pretty much that's never disappoints. For those who don't know, Mister Big Fist <laughs> is a librarian dreadnought. <laughs> Yeah, he was, he was the one, man. Like, in that game, he went into a fight, and he got D3 extra attack. He got five attacks. Then I used D3 extra on him, and he got seven attacks. Interesting. So, um, is, are you ever concerned that someone can just outshoot you? Like, you know, knock out the wyverns, or maybe not care about the wyverns, um, and just sit there and blast you away? Uh, yeah, I mean... Like a tower army, for many... example, or a mech Eldar uh, type of list? See. Yeah, so a Tau army was the kind of army we talked about, right? And that was in the pairings. I, it, we looked in the pairings, and all of my Tau matchups were either a draw or better in my favor. And I did my matrix, if you remember, Nick, based on the fact that I was going to pick board against them. So right. I think if Tau pick a board against me, and it's a pretty barren board, obviously they, they just blow the Wivens away, and then I, I can't do anything. However, if I play things like Tau on a board of my choice, sort of boards one and two at the ETC, which are heavy boards, for those of you that, that don't know. Um, on those, I can, uh, I can hide Wyverns and Mortars quite easily. And over two turns, I can kill like 30 drones from range. And then, you know, you send in the no Overwatch Smash Captain, and he can go in and kill a squad of broadsides and tag another. And then you've got things like the, all your characters and guardsmen can run forward in that turn. When you know, you know, you can kill, if you can kill three broadsides and tag another three, uh, most of the time people have just got like three more broadsides and one riptide in their army, and they're not going to kill 120 guardsmen and four blood angel characters in a turn. So you will get to them, and uh, those women's immortals will be sitting at the back, earning your points off objectives, and then just, there'll be nothing left of that Tau line except for the stuff that's doing the damage, and you can get in at that point. So it's very, it's very board dependent, and how you play as a player in those games. But um, Orcs is a really tough one. Uh, for example, I played the Orcs in the Russian game, uh, but they went, um, he got to go first, and I seized on him, which was pretty big. Uh, but in, on, in that, like, deployment on that board... What was the Orc list you played against? Just so oh, it was, uh, it was like 150 boys, uh, but then it was the Relic Shock Attack Gun and, like, 15 Smasher Guns. Gotcha. So no loot and it's though, the smashers. Please. Yeah, the smasher guns are the one because they can deal with your wivens. They've got the same range as your wivens, and uh, they're not they're not scared to put them at the front because lasguns won't kill them, and wivens won't kill them. So they will. If you try and go out for them, they'll get you. And what he did quite cleverly was he put the boys behind the smasher and put the smasher guns at the front. So if I wanted to shoot the boys, my wivens would have to be in range of smashers. But I just about managed to hide all three of them, which was pretty lucky. Because uh, on, on that board, uh, it didn't look like there was place to hide, like three tanks. Um, but it was only where he put his stuff. So because he put his shock attack gun in one certain building, he blocked the, he blocked the line of sight for that big mech off half of the board. So I could put two wyverns in that space. And then there was only one small ruin in my deployment zone, which could hide one wyvern. So it, it was like a misplay of where he put his... A uh, shock attack gun that let me hide all my wyverns. Other than that, he would have been able to see at least two out of three, which would have been very bad for me. Interesting. So that match was tough because he was able to essentially mitigate your wyverns. Let's say if you want to shoot me, 
I get to shoot you back and I'll kill you. And then I'm not going to be shot by Wyverns anymore. Yeah, that was it. That was it, really. And I mean, uh, another matchup which was pretty hard is, you know, in the last round, I played the I played the Australian Eldar player, and that was a bucket ton of Wyverns. So it was just loads. Uh, sorry, not Wyverns, Wave Serpents. It was like five or six Wave Serpents, and then there were Dark Reapers inside. It was mainly everything that outranged me. And yeah. he, if he sits back, I can't do much damage to him because I have to get my characters in Wave Serpents. But as soon as a character goes in, he's dead. That's just the way it is. And he's not guaranteed to kill that wave serpent either. And, you know, I failed some I failed some 3D6 re-rollable charges in that game as well. But what it really boiled down to in that game was uh, I played Hayden from Team Australia. And he, he piled one side of the board because we knew that if it was uh, sort of like a slog and we played to the end of the game, it was going to be like a 12-8, 13-7 win to me. Uh, so what he did was he stacked one board side with five objectives. So five objectives on one side and only one on the other side. Uh, but then I won the roll off the sides and it meant that I, ju I just sat there all game on the five objectives. And I just let him hold his one and he was picking off units every turn. Like some mortars were dying, a smash captain here and there was dying. Uh, but I won 20 nil because I, I just sat back on the objectives. I mean, I never, I didn't send any guardsmen pretty much. I lost like 30 guardsmen over the course of six turns. Yeah, uh, but that was because I, I just played the mission. I just played the against those armies. I think because the Eldar the Eldar are a lot better at than I am. Uh, but if I just get on objectives and play the mission, uh, they normally kill me as fast as they would like to, just because I, I don't let them shoot all the things they want. So that's one of the really interesting things you just brought up. Like I, you were saying your basic strategy is shoot them with wyverns when they they have to come towards you because wyverns are scary, and then you just kill them with guardsmen and smash captains. And then I asked, um, what happens if someone cannot shoot you, like Tower Eldar or even this orc army? And you, your response was essentially just play the mission and and you know hide and do your thing. And it's cool that your army is so flexible that it can just switch gears on a dime like that, and all of a sudden. You're not playing to kill the other guy. You're not playing to shoot him off the table. You're just making some small smash captain trades and scoring points. That's really yeah. That was it. I mean, in that game, it, it wasn't vital. When I sent smash captains into wave serpent, it wasn't really vital. They didn't. They didn't have to kill those wave serpents because you know they have stars. They were going to kill like three guards in turn if they get to shoot me. It was just yeah. the threat of if I send in a smash captain, he might shoot those dark reapers at the smash captain rather than the stuff I don't want him to shoot them at. And, right. you know, it, it works, because no Eldar player wants a Smash Captain and a Libby Dread standing in their lines ready to kill two Wave Serpents reliably next turn. Uh, so people do have to do things like that. So you can bait people in with that list. It's, it, it is really, really flexible. I think in, in the pairings, it was, it was probably the most flexible list we had, I think. Yeah, it was, it was a pleasure to pair with that army, because it was just something we could throw out wherever we wanted, basically, and you could fight anything. Is how we looked at it. It was really good. I, I really enjoyed playing it. I think it was awesome. So a lot of the the things you're talking about in this chat, going over your matchups and your plans and all that, they're kind of dependent on ETC missions, um, which are very different from ITC or Nova or things other people over here in America are used to. They're also, the format is one where you can kind of pick and choose your matchups or at least pick and choose your board to some degree, picking a very terrain heavy table or picking a terrain light table. How do you think this list fares in an in a ITC event or a Nova event or one of those? And do you uh, think it's something... So that, that's the thing, man. That's the thing. It's 
very tough for this list yeah. to play in ITC singles. And I've been I've been thinking about it a lot just because I had so much fun with it, and it's it's so flexible. Uh, the problem is you'll you'll give away too many points if you play in ITC. I mean, you will always be playing to hide, which is the problem. I mean, against the things that you uh, don't mind, like uh, against Tau and Eldar, you would always hide anyway, even in the format. So you could play that mission the same sort of way in ITC and pick the secondaries that are good for you, sort of like recon, engineers, and things like that, and you could score those points. But where the difficulty comes is against things like knights, orcs, chaos, where you would normally run into the middle of the board and just have it out with them, because in the end, you'll be the one standing. Uh, you can't do that anymore, because that, that chaos horde will have like seven or eight units in it, whereas you've got 12 units of infantry, then you've got the mortars, then you've got like eight characters, and the thing is, it's a grindy game, because you will get through the chaos, uh, but you'll kill like six 30-man blobs, and they'll kill 12 infantry blobs, five characters, and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. So you're losing, like, kill more. Every turn, you'll be losing kill more. You'll get hold more on most turns, but towards the end of the game, if they've been getting kill more, they're most likely to get hold more by the time the end of the game comes, which is very hard. And I mean, secondaries are very easy for people to do against you. People can get Butcher's Bill off you very easily by killing 20 guardsmen a turn. Uh, two mortar squads, that's, that's Butcher's Bill, and that's so easy to do. And then people can get... Um, marked for death off your characters and things like that, and your wyverns, and then Reaper is so easy. There's no, <laughs> there's pretty much no way that people don't max Reaper against you if they play properly. Uh, so I think in ITC singles, you probably wouldn't take this list. It doesn't, it doesn't do as well in ITC singles as it does in ITC. You would have to change it around. So I definitely agree with your assessment. Um, one of the big differences between ETC and ITC, for those of you who don't know, is basically that. Um, ETC is a combination of Eternal War missions, so there's objectives either scored turn by turn or at the end of the game. Maelstrom, which is you get points for just doing stuff during the game, often holding objectives or killing a certain unit. Um, and kill points. So many, I imagine, give double kill points in uh, pretty much every game, but that's only like maybe one-fourth of the total mission, so it's, it's something you can recover from an ETC. In ITC, many saying you give up pretty much all your secondaries right off the bat, and you're going to, at best, trade primaries because you're, you're trading Killmore for Holdmore. And then towards the end of the game, since you have nothing left and he does because he's got Killmore, um, he'll start getting Holdmore towards the end. So you're probably just in a losing scenario. But that's interesting, though, because um, this really isn't that different from the old Castlin Catachin list, you know, with a with a Castlin before it got nerfed and like hundred Catachins, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, and that army was obviously incredibly successful in ITC. So, what's the difference? Do you think? See, for me, I think it's the the the, the Castellan's reach. The Castellan had had reach that it you know it could it could reach out and kill any big threats to your army, which is pretty handy. Whereas with the Blood Angels, it's it's not the same thing. So you've got that one, that one smash captain who I caught loads of people off guard with. Uh, I mean, um, Death Watch are incredibly, incredibly bad for me. Uh, Death Watch plus Assassins uh, is, a, is a very, very bad matchup for that Catachan list because they also don't care about Wivens and they, they just mow Guardsmen down. Uh, but the German player made like left a little hole and then allowed me to go first. And I double moved a smash captain turn one and charged, uh, charged his watchmaster and killed his warlord turn one and he had no re-rolls for the rest of the game. 
And I mean, you've got that sort of but if people screen out properly, the rest of your reach is nine inch drops. You can pick a captain up and drop him nine away. You can drop nine away from the sky and have three D6 charge with reroll. But So it's just a matter of forty eight's not far enough, whereas the Castellan could shoot across the entire table, you think? Yeah, that's it. The Castellan had the, the had the range to do whatever he wanted. And he was pretty reliable at doing it. However, the Blood Angels, all it takes is someone screening properly and you actually there's nothing you can do in that situation like you can't get in properly uh or if you've depleted their screens and you do get in it's the matter of just rolling your charge and you know that can go wrong at times whereas the castellan he had the opportunity to shoot what he wanted every turn i mean yeah. e even once you're in with a smash captain once you're in then you've got the same odds as a castellan for example a castellan just rolls to hit and wound right yeah but that's all a captain uh, or a Libby Dread does once he's in. But that's the thing. You've got so many variables before you get in. Uh, you need to watch out for screens. Then you need to make the charge. Then you're on level footing with the Castellan. Because then you've got a hit and wound as well. So I think you're, you're, not, as, you're not as reliable. And pe people just know. Top players will know if they screen properly. They don't ha you don't have much of a threat against their big stuff. All right, so that, that brings me to a question then. Um, how would you adjust your list to play an ITC? Would you add, you know, would you think about a Crusader, a Crash Crusader? Would you think about um, tank commanders? Like, what what kinds of things would give you that reach? It would make you feel comfortable in playing ITC? Yeah, so I've been, I've been looking at tank commanders. I've been looking at tank commanders, and I think tank commanders would do really well in this sort of list. It just depends what you would be dropping for them. I mean... Um, I think you would look at dropping one or two Wivens because you, you always want one Wiven because out of line of shooting in ITC is awesome. You'd want that Wiven that can fire twice and you'd want some mortars with it. But by dropping two Wivens and a couple of other things, maybe one Smash Captain uh, or one Libby Dread. I, I think one Smash Captain. So you'd keep two Libby Dreads and two Smash Captains. Uh, but then you'd, you'd take Tank Commanders. And what that allows you to do is they do the same sort of job as a Castellan. But against things that need to, and the thing is, they outrange most things that kill them. The tank commanders have got a 72 inch range with battle cannons, which I think is key because, I mean, I've tried them and they do work well, but in ETC, I just found that more bodies and more wivens was more useful. Uh, but in ITC, it's, it's very key. What I was doing in most games is I was hiding my smash captains uh, behind a few guardsmen, uh, along with the Libby Dreads, in ruins, sort of towards the center of the table. And I, I found if you do that, people are really scared at coming into range of shooting your tank commanders. Because, you know, they've got like, they've got like 36 to 48-inch 40, range anti-tank weapons. But your tank commanders, you just line at the back of the board because they've got 72-inch range. And then your smash captains are like a good 24 to 30 inches in front of your tank commanders turn one. And then if people want to come within 36 to 48 of your tank commanders to shoot them... You've got these four smash captains that are going to jump out behind this ruin and pretty much automatically charge whatever whatever's come for those tank commanders. So I think they work well in um, in unison with each other. I think so, you've Manny. Got to have if I'm hearing like you that. right, it sort of sounds like you play your list kind of like a catcher's mitt, and that you want to be range dominant or outshoot your opponent to force them to come into the smash captains and sort of that's your is that sort of summarize your overall strategy where you're trying to create a situation where you're forcing your opponent to come into range of those hard-hitting melee um, characters yeah that, that's the thing that's what that list does uh, that's what that list is best because i mean if you're sitting there and you're shooting with three tank commanders every turn 
and one's got that hammer of sundance which is flat three damage you're doing a lot of damage to people and i mean they can if they want just sit back and not come for your tank commanders all game but by the end of the game they will have taken some heavy casualties while not hitting your tank commanders back but if they do come for your tank commanders they could leave your you know a tank commander crippled or kill one and leave a second crippled but then they do get hit by those smash captains so you you can you know they don't have to come for you but they will take heavy casualties if they do and then if they do come for you that's the chance for your smash captains to go into elements so it's it's kind of like you're trying to make a win-win type scenario with that list and i, I think it's, it's probably one of the best combos of armies to do it with for example you couldn't do the same with sort of guardsmen and black templar captains it wouldn't work uh, it's only because you have the reach of the blood angels uh, the reach of the blood angels for potentially how far they can move and charge and all the extra attacks they can get and the fighting twice and and then you have the reach of the guardsmen sitting still and shooting and i think that i think that's really good for itc if you can if you can force people to run at you I think that's huge because, you know, that means that sometimes maybe they have to leave objectives behind. So now you're holding more because they have, they're having to leave their objectives to run at you to stay alive. Or because they're sitting back trading shots with you, you're getting kill more. So they think, oh man, if he keeps getting kill more for like four or five turns, I've lost as well because we're holding the same amount of objectives and stuff. So it, it, it's forcing people to play your way. It, it, you kind of throw people off game with it because a lot of people don't expect it. And, you know, you sit there calmly trading punches and tra playing like a draw kind of game. And what I've done in a lot of situations, uh, in singles play, it works, it works better, I think, is I kind of sit there trading off with people and it's looking like a bit of a draw game. And sort of towards turn four, people start to panic and they think, oh man, it's a singles event. If I draw a game, I'm not going to win. And then they push, and then they because they push, you punish them. So because they because they got greedy for a couple of points in turn four, by the time turn six comes, they realise that you've you've upped them by three or four points because they pushed at the wrong time. It's interesting you you brought that up. Um, the concept of pushing to not get a draw because you need to max point wins to win your event is one that's kind of foreign to Americans at this point. It's very much a battle point thing, which I think is more common over in Europe. Uh, in America, it's just win-loss. If you drew a game, it's okay because you're still in the winner's bracket, basically, because you haven't lost yet. Um, how do you think this list fares in a battle point tournament versus a win-loss tournament? Uh, okay. Uh, uh, so what's the battle point? Is battle point like ETC where you battle get like 12 Battle point is like e ETC, you know, you 0 to 20, and then whoever's got more points at the end of five or six rounds wins the event. So the margin of victory matters, whereas LVO, if you just win nine games, you won LVO. Yeah, so quite, quite strangely, I think it's probably better in the ITC scenario. If you, if you add the tank commanders in and you go to an ITC event, uh, that's when people will, like, you know, they won't want to lose. So if you're playing a draw kind of game, they won't want to lose. But if they come for you, you can push that to a win. And that will be in people's minds. And you th I think you can do that quite a lot. However, in ETC, quite a lot of my matchups were like 12 between 12 points and 15 points. I mean, if you, looked, if you looked at my pairing matrix, I had a lot of uh, 10 to 15 point predictions. And the reason why those went up to 20s, uh, because I got, I got five 20 nils, and the reason why they went up to 20s is because people started panicking at that point. I don't think people realized that I was gonna get the winning end of a draw against them. Sort of, they told their team they would get 15, and I told my team I would get 15. So when it looked like I was up, sort of like 13, seven, 14, six, they pushed and then they made mistakes or I punished them for pushing. And that's what led to 20 nils. 
Whereas in a singles event, people will go, actually, I don't need to push. If, if he's if he's 12 eighting me, that's cool. He'll 12 eight me and I'll play on to try and get to the podium because points work that way. You know what I mean? You don't get a loss and you don't just go straight off. I mean, you can you can lose a game 12 eight and still win the other four 20 nil and you'd be on 88 points and you could be the third or the second high scoring player there. So you can still podium. So in ETC, people can play for that, like that losing end of a draw. Whereas you can't do that in ITC because if you're going to lose by one or two points, that's it. It's, it's, it's a loss. It's a flat loss. What else have you considered putting into your list besides the, uh, the tank commanders? Are there any, any other changes after your experience with it? Um, more for a singles event. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So those custodies are pretty cool. Uh, the, the custody being in there are actually really cool. So, I mean, especially for Maelstrom. So uh, in, in, in the ETC, especially at the actual event itself, my MVP has got to be Mr. Big Fist. That Libby Dread, who was my warlord, he's got to be MVP. And it's because of the priority orders received card, who most people take out of their deck. But it means that you draw a second Maelstrom card, and it's only for your warlord. But if he scores it, you get three points for doing it, but then also the points listed on the card. For example, if you had to cast a Psychic Power, that would normally be one victory point. You'll get four for it because um, it was a special one just for your warlord. Now that Libby Dread can do pretty much every card in that deck. There's normally like six or seven cards that he can't achieve, but you discard like five, five of those seven or six of those seven before the game. So the chances are he's going to get one that he can do because he can move extra fast, so he can do any of the secure cards. He can cast us out, get power, so he can do Master the Warp. He can kill stuff in combat, in shooting. He can get behind enemy lines. Basically, almost every card in that deck he can do. And that's just really scary for people. Uh, but it's really good um, in ITC as well. Is when Because he, he's a warlord, he's got four damage, and some people take old school and things like that. And they, they'd kill your Dreadnought. But if you've got those custodies with him, for one CP... You can shoulder the mantle, and then one of the custodies now becomes your warlord. And it says for the purposes of the mission, your warlord is counted as not slain, which is pretty cool. So, you know, you lose your Libby Dread warlord, but then uh, you, you get a shield captain. And normally it's a shield captain with a three up Invan. So all of a sudden you pick the warlord trade for five if you're on the pain. And now your shield captain is super resilient and super hard hitting as well. So the, the custodies are a really good supplement to it. I mean, you, you just drop a few Smash Captains. So you drop one Smash Captain, you drop one Libby Dread, and you lose two Wivens and a couple of Guardsmen, and it gets you the three Shield Captains in. And I think it's, it's pretty big, but you do lose command points then. You have, to put, you have to put Scouts in the Blood Angels and things like that, but, but it is a very good combination. Having the, the reach and the ability to smash big things with those Blood Angels, uh, and then having those uh, shield captains helps against things like orcs because you can you can chuck shield you could chuck shield captain into a blob of thirty orcs, and unless they've got a power claw in there or any sort of AP weapons, they probably won't kill him. Which is pretty good because toughness six with a two up save is really hard for big blobs to take down, so they can help in in those kind of things. And I mean, having three hurricane bolters in your army, they hit on twos with rerolls. Uh, it can really cripple people. And it's really good. So I have had a look at putting some of them in. Uh, other than that, the, other th the only other thing which helps you really well is um, assassins. So it, in the, it's in the same kind of thing because the assassins would help you with infantry. You would probably replace wivens with them. So you drop two wivens and a couple of guardsmen and you would put sort of like four to five assassins in. I think the best ones for that list are a Kalexus assassin because it makes 
Psyche Carnies even better for you. And then three Eversaws, because three Eversaws along with all those guardsmen is a ridiculous amount of anti-infantry. The Eversaws, can, they can go where they want. They can help you reach and get objectives in people's, uh, be uh, annoying in people's backfield by killing their sort of little objective holding units. And you've still got the smash of the Blood Angel characters. So I think those are good combos. Yeah, that's awesome. So these are all changes you're considering for like ETC or ITC or, or both doesn't make a difference. I know like your Libby Dread, obviously for that priority orders thing, that's really clever, but that doesn't matter in ITC or Nova or anything like that. Would you still include him as your Warlord if you couldn't score that card? Uh, yeah, I, I, the reason I, I take him as, as the Warlord primarily is because of the 4 damage. Uh, I was finding that a, a Smash Captain with a four, with the 4 damage hammer wasn't as reliable because he wasn't hitting on 2s. Uh, but that Livy Dread is just immense because he's also... M most things that you're trying to kill with Smash Captains has got a 3-up three up, three up arm save. So when you smack it in combat with hammers, they still have a 6-up save. And it's happened so many times where I've wounded something like six times and then they've rolled two or three six-up saves and they've only taken nine damage. Whereas yeah. that, that Libby Dread goes in and his Halberd is minus four. So when you're minus four flat four damage, I've had him go into, like I was saying, I've had him go into knights with seven attacks and then he's got seven hits on twos with rerolls with a smash captain next to him or with a stratagem. And then he gets like six wounds. But that's six wounds that go straight through that they get no save against and then that's 24 damage as compared to like the 9 or 12 damage a Smash Captain would do. So I would always take the Libby Dread because he just, he scares people. And he, he makes people play in a different way. That's my favorite thing about him, is when you start putting the pressure on with him, and he, you know, sort of like first turn, you don't launch him out. So you move him slowly, and then he casts wings, and maybe he moves another 4 or 5 inches forward, but he stays behind your screen. And then people have it in their mind that next turn, he can move 12, then he can move another 12, so he's moved 24, and then he can charge something with plus 3 inches to his charge and re-rollable charges. So he will charge something 36 inches away, averagely. And that makes people play in such a different way. And I, I think it's brilliant. It, it makes people not be able to play for objectives and things like that. They have to go, oh, if I, put this, if I put this big knight on this objective, he's dead next turn and things like that. And it means that people play KG and it gives you more points ITC-wise. It, it, it helps you withhold more, is what it does. But, it, you know, in critical turns where, you know, your opponent sort of killed three units and you know you can kill roughly three, you're like, oh, if I just send my Smash Captain in now and he kills that big thing, I've got kill more this turn, which is pretty, pretty useful for an army that's all, pretty much always going to score hold more. It just having that element of, oh, if I'm holding more, but in one or two turns, I can get kill more just because I've got this big dude in here that does a lot of damage. I can win the game by two or three points. Yeah, that's actually... And I think that's huge. It's actually pretty genius, because I was thinking as you were describing that, well, you're not going to get to my knight or whatever my big scary unit is, because I'll be screening it with chaff, and, like, you know, that's... Even if I'm within threat range of the Libby Dread, I won't be physically assaultable, or I'll, I'll make you pay for it if you do come get me. But really, what, what I was missing is the fact that the wyverns and the mortars and all those guardsmen clear all the chaff. Like, there is no chaff yeah. to screen with. So, That's it. yeah, in the first couple turns, maybe I can get that off. But by turn three at the, at the latest, probably, you know, all I have is my important stuff. So am I going to really put myself in threat range of this Dreadnought that I can just launch Yeah, exactly. And I think the biggest, the biggest threat about it is sort of that. Because remember how I said you stand off with them for the first two, three turns? 
and that's because your mortars and wyverns are killing their screens. I mean, it, it normally means that you've held for three turns and they've killed more for three turns, but then all of a sudden that turn four, they're like, uh, I might not kill more this turn, and he's definitely going to hold more this turn if I don't push, but now I have no screen and that Libby Dread is standing right there, 20 inches away. Yeah. No, it's very good. Um, so I, I also want to save some content for the second part to this episode where we go into how you approach different games and what are your specific tactics and tricks with this list. Um, really the micro strategies that you guys use. Uh, is there anything else you think we should cover on the overall game plan, though? Uh, no, that, that's pretty much it for the overall game plan. There, there's not much else other than that, except for, like, um, in some games, I, like, push my guardsmen out. For example, in the knights game, I played the knights in the singles event, and they didn't get to shoot many guardsmen for the first couple of turns. And the only reason why I killed so many in the, in the last couple of turns is because I knew that by that point, all I had to do now was sit on four objectives out of the six at the end of the game, because they were worth all worth points, and it's a 20-0. So from in turn four, turn five, and turn six, all I did was move, 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 move like 50 guardsmen onto three different objectives, and then he killed them all, and then I did the same thing, and then he killed them all. But then at the end of turn six, I still had like seven characters. And I moved, 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 like five of them onto objectives, and the game ended. And it's those little characters that, that make it key that you can trade punches with people. And that's why I'm quite comfortable. Uh, like how I was saying, people come in and they kill your guardsmen and then you kill them back. It's, it's sort of like a trading kind of game. But by the time they've lost all of their infantry and lost all of your infantry, they normally have like three or four orc or three or four chaos characters that don't move very fast at the end of the game, but you've got like four or five commanders that can move, move, move and go like 20 to 21 inches averagely in a turn. Yeah. So it's that ability to reach objectives at the end of the game. Yeah, it's even when both people are limping out of the battle, you still have all this speed and just nonsense. Yes. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Awesome. So John, is there anything you wanted to, to ask Manny last before we head off on to part two? No, let's uh, let's move on to part two, which uh, for all of you listeners out there will be available on our Patreon, which is at uh, www.aow40k.com. And uh, we'll continue our conversation with Manny and get into really the, the details. As, as we all know, uh, high level 40K, the devil is in the details. So Absolutely. So if you guys enjoyed the part one of this podcast, the overall strategy with uh, Manny Shima and his guard army, you can learn more about it over on Knights of the Game Table Pro, where I teach you how to become a better 40K player. I do classes on this stuff. I run battle reports, all kinds of stuff. You can check that out in the link below. Um, Manny, is there anything you want to add or plug for yourself? Anything I want to what? Sorry? If there's anything you like, where can people find you? Oh, yeah, people can find us on Glasshammer Gaming. Oh, thanks for that, Nick. <laughs> yeah, no if you go to uh, glasshammergaming.co.uk, uh, we do sort of like coaching services. And if you go to our YouTube channel, Glasshammer Gaming UK, uh, then you can see like all of the battle reports that we do. And I, I use this list before the ETC and a couple of games on bat reps. So you can actually see the way that I play it and how it comes into its element. And we, we do that with a lot of... A lot of sort of the new stuff that come out, we've got Chaos Knights already on there. And next week's battle report will feature the new Marines as well. So you could check us out on there. Awesome. So you can check me out at Knights of the Game Table. You can check Manny out at Glasshammer. There's tons of content out there for you guys who are aspiring 40k players. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for watching, guys. Mm.
Like the strategy discussion you heard? Want to hear more about the tactics of this list? Sign up for our Patreon at AOW40K.com, where we go deep into details of optimal play. This has been Art of War, a strategy and tactics podcast for Warhammer 40K. Hosted by Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Find us at AOW40K.com. And of course, connect on Facebook. Just look for AOW40K. 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 Till next time. 